<sighs> well, guys, gals, today is not, it's a good day and it's a bad day for me. It's a good day because my in-laws came in town and unlike maybe some of you guys, I actually have a really good relationship with my in-laws. I enjoy their time, their company, and uh, they came into town and the icing on the cake is they took the little four-year-old terrorist out of my house and they're going to be keeping for an undetermined amount of days, two hours away from here. So my wife asked me, well, he's gone. So what do we do? I was like, whatever the fuck we want to. So she's downstairs and watching probably something stupid on TV. And I am here with you guys. And then I'm going to be doing some reloading here in a minute. Um, so it felt great. But before all that, I learned today that uh, us members of Sniper's Hide, we lost one of our very own. Uh, if you spent any time on Sniper's Hide, especially in the bear pit, then you know our friend Veer G. Uh, V-E-E-R-G. Uh, his name was Chip. Uh, we lost him. Either, either this morning or last uh, last night, yesterday. But, um, you know, he was having some, some heart complications and he, he succumbed to them. And we lost one of our friends. And Veer was, uh, me and him always pretty much saw eye to eye on everything. If you remember him, he was definitely known as the grammar Nazi, but, uh, which was funny. And his sense of humor was, was wonderful. He was a funny guy, but when it comes to worldview and everything, I, I noticed that me and him pretty much aligned pretty well on most things. And, uh, I, I think he was, Chip was a, a really good person in, in reality. And, um, there's a, there's a few people, I'm not going to say any names, but a few people on the hide that were much, much, much more close to him than I was. I w wouldn't consider myself close to him. We, we spoke in different threads and stuff like that. And I guess we knew who each other were, but you know, nothing, it was nothing on a personal level, but there were people on the sniper's hide that, that did have a personal relationship with chip and, um, yeah, I don't even know if it's even been pretty much brought up or announced or said on Sniper's Hide yet. But uh, if it's not and you hear this first, then you know, this is the exclusive, I guess. But uh, Veer was, like I say, he's a good guy from what everything that I could see. Veer was a really stand-up guy. Man, well, my voice is cracking. I've been yelling at my son all week. Veer was a good guy. And... He, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not saying he was young, like as in his thirties, but I do know he was much too young to, to, to leave from here. But, um, I've, I'm a couple in and I'm going to probably drink a couple more and in, in memory of Chip Virgie. And, uh, I guess I'm going to do a, a moment of silence. This one's for you, buddy. Back to my old favorite long weekend. I uh, had one. <laughs> the last beer I drank was 
uh, Flying Dog Brewery uh, Raging Bitch. Uh, 8.3% IPA. Went down smooth and delicious. That was the beer I had in a celebration of my son fucking leaving. Get us some reprieve. Um, tonight's episode, I'm all, like I mentioned in the last one, be going over the topics that uh, Ted or Jack Master on the hide. Uh, I, I read off the 11 questions topics and uh, that he thought would be a good idea to, to cover. It would help him and hopefully would help you guys as well. Uh, let's go with number one. Uh, worst gear failure at a match or top three. I I will say I've had one gear failure and it failed me all day. And other than that, I haven't had any gear failures as much as I've had poor application of that gear. When that's not the gear's fault, that would be me. That would be something like a bipod, like, you know, dicking up the bipod height on a stage, like I've mentioned before. Um, stuff like that. Um, that's all fine and dandy. That's not the gear's fault. That is the user's fault. Um, the gear failure I had was a, I was, I sold my first Tika rifle that, I mean, it was like I told you before, was, uh, had a PVA 6.5 Creedmoor barrel on it in a, well, this was what, 2016, 2017. Um, and I had it in an MPA chassis, Night Force, um, attacker scope on it. I sold it. And I wish I didn't, but I saw it. But I was in limbo of the what my next rifle. I went and purchased a Bergara Ridge. Um, now it's not the Bergara Ridge back; it's the Bergara Ridge, and it was like in a a cheap, you know, Hogue style stock. But it was a the normal b14 action with i think it was like a 24 inch barrel that was threaded i had a uh xlr evolution chassis sent to the side with nothing in it so i bought that took the barrel action out of the factory stock put it into the xlr and decided to shoot a damn match with it now uh, it, I, it liked the 147 ELDM factory Hornady ammo the best. Um, it, I mean, it shot the, the Ruag prime and the 140 grain ELDM Hornady ammo about the same, but I think if I remember correctly, it shot the 147 just a little bit better. Uh, 2695, uh, average velocity with like an, I don't know, SD of maybe like 12 or 13, which is fine for factory ammo. That's pretty much par for the course for decent factory ammo. But what the problem was that action, it, I believe every stage, maybe a one or two, it didn't, but for the most part, at least once every stage, if not multiple times, uh, every stage, it would, I'd run the bolt. And it would just spin the case, the spent case. It would just spin it. And when you run the bolt forward, it would push the ass end, the, uh, the, the case head, down into my chamber with the, bullet, the next bullet in the mag coming right behind it. And 
of course, would cause a misfeed. You have to clear the mag, all that crap. It did that almost every fucking stage. I fought that action every stage. And holy hell, it was it it led to one of my worst it maybe my worst finish ever. Um that's why when I see anybody like on Facebook or Sniper's Hide or anything when they're looking for that on that budget entry level production rifle, you know, and they list a bunch of options. Whether the option is listed up there or not, I typically will suggest the Tika Tac A1. Um, if not the Tika CTR and just go, you know, put it in a KRG Bravo stock and then you're good to go. The Tika is like I mentioned before, in my opinion, is the best factory action that you're going to find as far as what you're going to grab off of a shelf or off of, you know, uh, Brownells or Cabela's or anything like that. The Tika is is it now the only problem is the tikas are stupid accurate for a factory rifle there's no no i don't know anybody who's ever had a tika that said i mean this thing is just not accurate no the problem with them is that they're slow now is that a big deal well if you're looking for a, a budget friendly factory rifle the difference in what a 50 feet per second or 70 feet per second on a certain bullet are going to be is probably not going to matter to you. You're not going to see a difference in what the extra feet per second in velocity are going to give you. You know, you you're still probably at the point of learning the basics, learning position building, learning wind, uh, you know, all that stuff. And you can look at it two ways. You can look at it with maybe going with an ammo that has a lighter bullet to maybe pick up some of that speed. But still, even then, you go with a lighter bullet. Yeah, it's going to be faster than the heavier bullet, but then you're still lacking in BC to where, well, you should be running that lighter bullet faster, right? Or you can go the heavier bullet like I did with the 147s. It gives you a little bit boost in BC and, you know, it's just slower. But you got more energy on target and and hopefully fight the wind a little bit better but and, and to me and there may be people who disagree with me listen to this if you're going with a slower gun like where no matter what it is that you're doing and not hand loading for it then go with the the higher bc heavier bullet rather than the the lighter slower bullet uh well i should say faster but lighter bullet um if if all else was the same, then there's an argument we made about running a lesser BC bullet faster. And as long as, but there's a threshold, right? If you're still underneath the threshold, then what good is it doing you? You know, uh, I would go with the heavier, higher BC bullet. Um, but as far as other equipment failure in a match, I can't really think of really any any equipment failure where the, the, the equipment did not do what it was intended to do. I've been lucky, fortunate that I have chosen equipment other than that action, which that was literally the one and only match it ever got shot in. And I sold it to my buddy as a hunting rifle, which that is perfect for that action. It was an accurate gun. It was shot half minute about everything. Um, it was just, you don't, it doesn't do well for a match setting. Um, but uh, as far as equipment failure, everything I've had has worked. 
like it was supposed to as long as I implemented it the way it needed to be implemented in that situation. Um, you know, bags being like rear bags, not being big enough. Well, that was my dumbass fault. I should have ran, you know, in a, a certain situation where I had to have my bipod up higher, but you could run like a modified, it's a, like a modified prone position, uh, that you could run with a bipod and a rear bag, but you had to, I, I can use one in particular instance, for example, I, uh, they're concrete pipes and the concrete pipe was not like you run it, you're shooting it long ways. It was a long pipe. So it was basically, um, a modified prone, but the problem was that the, the, it slanted down, it sloped downwards. So you needed to have some elevation on that bipod to be able to go up and see the target. And, um, I did not have enough rear bag to, to do that. Um, things like that. That's not the bipod or the bag's fault. That was my dumbass fault for not using a different bag to be able to use it effectively. Right. Um, so, you know, that's about all I can say on, on gear failures in a match. Um, number two, what piece of gear did you have little expectation from and have it surprise you how well it worked or helped you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't expect to a couple things, I guess. I didn't expect for me to really fall in love with the uh, wax canvas mini fortune cookie like I did. Because I had the, uh, the original mini fortune cookie and like it was good. I mean, was it life altering as far as shooting matches? No, it, it was light and it was small and compact and it did pretty well. I still have it. I'm looking at it right now. I use it now, uh, in the deer stand with me, uh, during deer season. But when I got the wax canvas mini fortune cookie, I mean, it was night and day difference. It is the most stable bag I have used and I have used them all. I have used them all and I've either owned them all or used them all. And I haven't found anything that compares as far as like running it on a barricade or anything like that. It is the most stable. My rifle is the most stable on that than any other bag with or without like an amp plate, right? Like the, I, I have the mini gun amp plate from gray ops and with it or with or without it, that wax canvas mini fortune cookie is just, and I've got them all. And what I'll do is here in my reloading room with my indoor dry fire training system, I'll have multiple bags side by side on the barricade and I'll pick the rifle up, put it on, see how stable I'm at, give everything a fair shake, get my natural point of aim right, shooting or, you know, running that bag like I would in a match. And then I'll go down the line of the bags that I have. And every time I just, it's, it's very apparent that the wax canvas mini fort to whiskey, Charlie mini fortune cookie, as it's formally called it, uh, it is, it, it tops them all. And I love that bag. And another piece of equipment that I didn't expect to really like because of a bad taste I had in my mouth was the, Hornady uh, Kestrel. Now I have also a, or I had a Kestrel Sportsman 5700 Sportsman, 
and with applied ballistics. Now, I guess I don't know why I didn't have, uh, I guess, better or higher expectations than I did for it. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just, my expectations were so low that it wasn't hard to exceed them. But I just had such a bad taste in my mouth with applied ballistics on my Kestrel that I didn't even use it. What I did was I could have had a 4500 with no uh, ballistic solver on it and been just as happy before because I was just getting the environmentals and wind speeds and, and stuff like that. And then inputting that into my phone, I have a, and like an older iPhone five that I keep in my pack specifically for running ballistic software, uh, software. And, and that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And when I got the Hornady Kestrel, money, I haven't used it in a match yet. So I haven't given it a fair shake, I reckon, but just in the times that I have used it, I mean, it's been nice to have everything all in one. And then I trust the the data it gives me. It, I trust the drops that it gives me because it's been dead on. Very little true. Oh, I should say there's very little lying to it to get it to be true. So it it's been great. I really like it. It's it's it has definitely exceeded what my expectations were regardless of how low or high those expectations were. Um, uh, I guess another piece of equipment, I've got a um, tripod, a new tripod. It's a carbon fiber. It's, I guess it's a Chinese knockoff. Uh, it is, stand by, hold on. All right, yeah, it was the Interrail tripod. That's what I couldn't remember the name of it. Uh, it is basically the same thing that I guess is the same tripod that um, there's another company on uh, out there with uh, tripods for sale. There, I think it's what is it, Two Vets um, Sporting Goods. Yeah, Two Vets Sporting Goods, and a lot of guys are running that and really liking it. Um, it is a big, beefy tripod, and it is definitely affordable. I love really right stuff. Um, I support really. I've got tons of other really right stuff products other than the tripod, like stuff that I need. Like uh, had the really right stuff auxiliary plate on my AT when I had it in the factory chassis. Um, I have multiple for multiple different bipods the really right stuff um adapters or i should say the clamps or whatever to be able to run on picatinny and or arca arca swiss rails um and uh dovetails whatever they're referred to as um and i mean i love the company the company is is, is a one quality USA made. I mean, it's great. Like I, I really appreciate really right stuff for who they are because they make the best there is when it comes to tripods. But considering, considering the type of shooting I do in matches here in the Southeast, primarily, I don't use a tripod in a match. Like I have never, not one time utilized my tripod because of the types of matches I shoot, it is not behoove of you to do so when you have to deploy it on the clock, which I think you should have to do. I agree with that rule, is to deploy it on the clock. 
Um, and given the par times and the amount of movement in positions and stuff like that, there's really no need for use of a tripod. It, it, you'll burn more time than what it's worth, you know, using it. So the only thing I use it for really, and I always take it to my matches cause I always use it for my spotter. Um, and to whether I'm ROing or not, I take it with me. So, I mean, basically all it's doing is holding up a spotter, but it's, I mean, it's rugged. I'm not worried about it, you know, breaking, I'm not, uh, the stability on it. You know, my glass is always, you know, everything is still and stable. It, uh, I mean, it's a great tripod and I think I paid like 350 something dollars for it. Um, and it comes with a ball head and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And, um, but as far as anything like Chinese knockoff, which I'm sure it is, they're spec as an American company specking it out in China. Um, that's as far as I'm going to go with anything like that. I, I don't have anything else. Nothing else I have is Chinese made. Um, I just, I, I literally would lose sleep knowing that I spent, you know, $1,200, $1,500 on a tripod when I don't shoot off of it. The only time I shoot off of it is, you know, coyote hunting or something like that, right? And, I mean, shit, I can do that with off any tripod. But when it comes to shooting matches, I don't shoot matches and, and use them as rear support or there is no, I've never shot a match to where there was a tripod stage where, like, you are shooting off a tripod. We just don't do that a lot down here in the southeast at the matches I've, I've shot. Um, if I lived out West, it would be a completely different, if, if I lived out West where you see the majority of the tripod use to begin with, there's no doubt I'd have a really right stuff tripod because the, the amount of use with that tool would justify the amount of money paid for having the best out there and, or bare minimum, just an American made product. Um, so I'm not trying to tell anybody to go buy the inner, the inner rail tripod or anything else, but it's a, uh, I mean, it's a solid tripod and it does what I need it to do. And it's, I mean, it's the, got the 40 millimeter legs and I mean, it's a big motherfucker. I mean, <laughs> it is plenty big and sturdy for anything the weight rating on it is I think a hundred pounds and it's, it's been good to me. It's got all the adjustability I need. Um, no center post and it's, it's great. It's a great tool, especially for the use that I have for it. All right, let's see. Number three, worst mental mistake at a match, man, that is holy shit. That is such a hard question for me to answer because I have made so many mental mistakes. Um, the ones that stick out in my mind the most are the ones that probably cost me the most points. Uh, what, the one that I guess was the worst was a stage at Pig River last summer. Um, I think I may have mentioned it on one an episode in the past, but uh, there think uh, okay, it was two spools, okay, the the big wooden spools, and they were there was one stacked up on top of the other, so um. They basically flipped them end on end, right? And then stacked a smaller one on top of the bigger one. The bigger one was in the bottom. The smaller one was on the top. There were two targets. One was at seven and some change. I think one was at nine and some change. 
you had to shoot both targets two shots each. If I'm, I don't want to butcher the course of fire. I think I have the course of fire in somewhere in here. I'm not going to take the time to look at it, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it was you got to shoot both targets two shots each. The first position is on top of the top spool. The second was you're 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 on the bottom section of the top spool but you had to be touching just the top spool you couldn't be touching the bottom spool and then the the next position was you had to be on the base of the bottom spool which is basically prone right which is fine well this was one of the stages it was a a dual mental error um one was the bipod I had. You remember we talked about in the last episode when we talked about gear with bipods. I was running the Calgen 2. The stance was so wide on it that I was on. In order for my bipod to only be on the in the second position, which was the the bottom part of the top spool, I, I couldn't. You have the center section of the spool is in the center, right? Well, you think you're just shooting off to the right of that. Well, to, in order for me to get both bipod feet on that spool, I, I couldn't, my rifle was hitting, it wouldn't, the, the center post of the spool was not allowing me to go that far over. So it was, I mean, I was literally fucked right there. And then kind of the same thing on the bottom spool. But the, the I guess the biggest error was I forgot to write my dope on my dope card and I still had the dope from the last stage dialed on. So I was literally pissing up wind. I had no I was nowhere in the vicinity of those targets. And in my mind I didn't I didn't I guess this is the third mistake. I didn't stop and be like, okay, I know these are the distances. What is my dope that's as close to that distance that I can think of. And then maybe catching the bottom edge of the target and correcting off of that, or maybe the top or something like that. It, I mean, I zeroed the stage. It was literally a clusterfuck of a stage of 100%. Like I had, I had zeroed the stage before it was my turn to shoot because it was a lack of preparation it was the lack of thought in my bipod selection, which I didn't even have a Harris at the time. So I would have had to have borrowed a bipod because like I told you, that Calgen 2 is an amazing bipod when you're prone. It's just that wide stance. It has bitten me too many times for me to only have go to a match to where that's the only bipod I bring with me. Now, if, like I said, it's okay, I could run, still have ran that bipod having the Harris bipod in the pack to then swap out in a, in a situation like this, you know, but you know, even then I could have easily borrowed a bipod, but the problem was that I, you know, you can't go up, you know, there's a cone that you can't pass before it's your turn to shoot. You're right. You can only go past a cone when you're the one shooting. I couldn't, there's no way for me to really to go on and measure Like, is this bipod going to be able to work? Um, I didn't even, but the problem is I didn't even think about it. So maybe if I had thought about it, I could be like, 
the kind of eyeball it from a distance. Like, man, I'd be better off going with a different bipod. Just better safe than sorry. I didn't even do that. I didn't even think to do that. That was the mental mistake, number one. I think that was day was day one of the match on Saturday, and I literally ate shit on Saturday. And that also may have been a factor that I was just – it wasn't the first or second stage. It was, like, deeper into the day. And, you know, I just paid for it because my, my mental state was – not in a good place. And that's what I'm trying to, one of the things that I'm trying to work on this year is to, Hey, if you eat shit on a stage, forget about it. Like literally forget that that stage ever happened. That doesn't mean that you don't maybe learn from what you did wrong, but forget about your performance because in by no means way, shape or form, is it going to help your next stage? You know, that goes along with golf as well. You eat dicks on one hole and then you need to forget that and don't let that affect your next, your performance for the remaining, uh, you know, match or your remaining holes in the match. Same thing with shooting. You have to forget the, the, what you just fucked up other than the fact of learning from it and not fucking it up again. Look at it as a positive. Hey, I just ate shit there. That just taught me something. I'm going to use that as a learning opportunity. You get, and it's not just a, it's not just a mental process. It's also an attitude. And so you have to have that attitude along with that mental process and men- that mindset of, hey, that was a blessing. You know, me just eating shit right there gave me the opportunity to learn to where that I improve on next on, on future stages. Right. That that's what I didn't do. That was in a uh, I was in a completely different place mindset wise in my shooting career just last year as opposed to this year um but i believe that was probably the biggest that stage was probably the biggest mental mistake that i've I've had and then maybe another one was the one that i mentioned in like the very last match i shot was earlier this year when it was fucking frozen outside um it was a stage you were shooting off of barrels uh, three targets, different positions, or excuse me, different distances. Obviously, we, me and Jeff, had game planned it before I went on. I dialed my dope for the middle target because the middle target, which was the second target, was the closest target. So I was going to hold zero for the middle target, but I was going to hold whatever my hold was, and just I wasn't even going to dial. I was going to hold, uh, which was a great plan. And I had the, I had the, I didn't want to hold under anything. So I had the second target dialed and I had on my dope card, everything I needed to know. I had target one was, you know, hold point, uh, half a mil and then hold zero on the second target, hold, you know, point eight for the third target. Right. Um, I think it went maybe one shot each and you had to go, it's like in a sequence. Um, and it's right when it was my turn to shoot, but when the, the RO asked me, you know, shoot or stand a course of fire. And normally I'm like, hold on. And I, I check my dope. I check my parallax, uh, you know, check everything. And then I'll report, uh, repeat, excuse me, repeat the course of fire most times now. And I'll, I'll say it out loud 
and just saying it out loud is almost like a, an affirmation that helps it burn it into your mind. And I was doing that. And I looked at my scope and it was a, a complete mental fart. This was a match that I was ROing and shooting and was one of those things where it was like I got off the glass when I was on deck type thing. And, and that's why Jeff was helping me get my shit together because we, you know, that was basically the whole day. And it's when he asked me to shoot or understand a course of fire, I looked at my scope. I said, whoa, that dope's wrong. Like what I had dialed on my scope. Oh, I completely, that's where it went wrong. I had it perfect. It was good to go. Everything was squared away. And then I sabotaged myself because I had a mental fart and changed what I had. And I didn't figure it out until like I was already eight shots into the stage. And then I got a couple hits and that was, I got like a two on the stage. And that was another, then as soon as we were done, Jeff looked at me and I was like, God damn it. I know what I did. Like, I know I'm disappointed in myself more than, than you're disappointed in me. So like I've, like I've said, and you guys should know by now, if you've been listening through the beginning of this whole, you know, this whole series, you know, that my, I am my own worst enemy. My mind is my own worst enemy and I'm constantly fighting with my brain, you know, between ADHD, dyslexia, and just not having that precision rifle, you know, head game, mental game on lock, like so many, you know, the top shooters do, um, that it just, that's what I'm fighting. And then that, that was, that day was the only error that I had, um, really mental fuck up that I had the whole match and I shot bad just because I shot bad, not because, which I'm okay with. If I, if I shoot bad because of, man, I just was not calling wind good. I wasn't seeing the targets. Well, uh, yeah, the, the wind kicked my ass or some of that. I, I'll take that. Okay. Because I can improve that when it pisses me off is when I give points away for stupid shit. Right. That, that, and that is the, that was, if I'm not mistaken, the only stage to where I really had a, just a mental, you know, mind fuck and paid for it. The rest of the stages that, that whole match was, you know, all me and all just bad shooting. So, you know, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, let's see. Number four. What is a mental mistake you have made a few times at matches that you had to fix or wish you could fix? A repeating mistake. Uh, I've kind of already touched on it. A repeating mistake is the bipod height thing. When you're shooting off of, when you're shooting off of props using a bipod, you have to take into account the height and position of the target in relation to the height and position of whatever prop you're shooting off of. If you don't have it nailed or, or whatever, or have it the bipod high enough to where you've got flexibility, but then again, also have a rear bag to would be able to f- correct your mistake of bipod height one way or another, then you need to have it nailed. Like you need to have, have either done it before or it be basically the same as being prone. Um, and a way to fix that with me is I've got my, uh, um, 
full-size wax game changer that I'm going to be using from now on in certain positions and also in as a rear bag for you know, types of situations like this. Um, and I've, I've had that bite me multiple times, but I'd say the biggest repeat mistake I've had is not dial my dope on. Now I've, I've kind of gotten to the rhythm in the last few matches of knowing I dial my, the first thing I do when I get now, I try my best to listen, do my best to listen to the stage brief. I used to just like, I don't need to listen to this guy. I'm just, it's written down in front of me. I can read it whenever I want. And I go to like loading mags or doing whatever, or just shooting the shit because I'm having fun with the guys in my squad, which I'm, I still fight because I, to me, that's the funnest part of shooting matches is most times the guys that I'm shooting with. Um, I've got a big group of people that if I'm with any of them, I'm I'm, I'm having a good time you know, or even people I don't even know by like three stages in you get to know people and you have a good time with them and it's easy to get distracted. Now, if you don't care how you shoot, you just want you going out there for that reason and just trying to have fun shooting, then by all means don't change anything. Just do that because there's a lot of folks and that was me to begin with too. You know, now that I've gotten a little bit better and I've, I've just grown in the sport a little bit, I'm trying to become more competitive and, and, and do well. I don't have that, um, super competitive attitude to where like I'm picking out somebody and I'm going to do my best to beat them or I'm just trying to squeeze every point to beat whoever. No, no, no. I, I'm not that person when it comes to this. Now, ping pong, I will fuck you up. Like you come to the table in front of me, it's it's war. Like it is, it's on. You are now my enemy. But that's just that. Um, sad thing is, I'm better at ping pong than I am shooting precision rifle. But uh, when it comes to shooting matches, I'm just now. I want to beat myself. I am my adversary. I want to beat my last performance. You know, tenfold. Like I want to exponentially beat my last performance is what I want to do. Right. So I don't have, and, and maybe I would be better off if I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I, my goal is to beat this person in my squad. Maybe I would shoot better. I don't know. Maybe if it was, you know, Jeff or CL or whoever else, or any of my other friends that I shoot with is if I say at the beginning of the match, you know, my goal is to just beat them today. Maybe I'd shoot better. I don't know, but I'm always trying to just beat myself. I'm in my own world as far as how my, you know, how I end the, end the weekend as far as you know, the match goes. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, hopefully, somebody who's much better shooter than I am is listening to me. They're like, yeah, Dave, you're doing it all wrong. You need to, you know, be competitive, have the mindset of beating other people, winning, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's what I need to do. But, um, Anyway, if if I'm doing that, if I'm jawing, hanging out, talking shit, and making jokes, which I am definitely guilty of, uh, sometimes I will literally go to the stage, multiple targets, or maybe just one target, multiple positions, and my turret is on zero, and my data card is blank. Or it's the one from the last stage. I have done that many, many times. Uh, or I'll just, you know, I'll put my dope down and then on the data card and I'll just forget to put it on my turret. And then 
boom, first shot, it's like, oh, check your dope. Um, or I'll see it at the bottom of my scope, hit the ground and skip. I'm, oh, shit. And then I'll dial it on. Uh, or in multiple targets to where uh, I've got my dope on the first target. Boom, impact, boom, impact. Next target. Forget to then put my dope on for the next target. Oh, shit. And I'll see, I'll you know hit at the bottom of the target. And then I'll look up and see that I had not changed my dope. Boom, go from there. Um, I haven't done that in a while, but that's not to say, knock on wood, that that won't happen in the future. But doing my best to negate and minimize these errors. Um, but really just dialing dope in general is, uh, we've all done it. If, you've, if you're listening right now, you've fucking done it. If you say you haven't, you're a liar. But it's then, how often do you do it? So what I've gotten to the habit of is listen to the stage brief. This is assuming I'm not ROing. So listen to the stage brief. Like, pay attention. And it's hard for me to pay attention. It's just, that's what I deal with. Pay attention to the stage brief. Ask questions. Say it out loud. Repeat it to the motherfucker. You may sound stupid as shit. Just repeat it like a dumbass. And it, it, I'm telling you, it helps ingrain it into your mind. And then I go load mags. Uh, boom. I'm in the Kestrel or my phone or now my Kestrel doing everything. And I make sure I dial it right then and there. I don't wait until any other time. I don't go off and talk and then come back to. No, no, no. Right then and there, I dial it on. That way I can feel confident. And I'll check it. And But that's what bit me in this one where I told you about the uh, one of the worst mistakes was when I questioned what I had dialed on. I shouldn't have. But that's an error that I made. But I did the right thing by dialing it on before I even pick up the rifle. Okay. If I do that, then I'll, if, I, if that's a routine that I have in dialing the dope on right then and there, it will always be in the right spot for that stage when it's my turn to shoot. Don't wait until you're right there about to go on your own deck or even in the hole or wait till it's your turn to shoot and you're already talking to you. No, 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 You're, you're already behind. You have, you should have put the dope on long ago and, you know, gotten your wind call, written your, your initial wind call, uh, what you're going to do. Hey, look, that's another thing. Um, 90 second part times, a lot of movement, man, you've got, you're pretty much reading wind on the clock is is done. Now, when you got two minute, two and a half minute, you know, par times, that is that's not necessarily the case at that point. But when you are 90 second par time and you've got to move five positions, a length of 15 yards, then it's you get your initial wind call and you correct off of that from there. There's no like, ooh, I'm watching the wind change. That looks like it's a little bit less than what I had on. Okay, I'm not going to hold as much. Boom. No, it's you let that fucker fly. And then if you miss off the edge or way off, you just you go from there. So throwing diggers is kind of a thing unless you're really good at just nailing an initial first shot wind call. But hey, in reality, you're on glass. By the time you get off glass and then up to the cone or whatever with the RO, shooter understand, of course, fire, shoot, you ready. So much has changed in that time. So you almost need to have like an average of what the wind has been doing before you get there and shoot. And 
stick to that, you know, um, especially in the southeast because there's, there's not a lot of wind, but there's just enough to, and it's so switchy that it's just enough to throw you off. It's not going to be like you got 15, 20 mile an hour, 30 mile an hour winds and it's sitting there hanging at 25 mile an hour. No, you have five, three, 10 at tops, eight mile an hour. That's enough to blow you off target. And the problem is that it's not even constant. It's not even constant in the direction. It's It'll be boom, three o'clock. And then the, before you know it, it is straight up nine o'clock, the opposite direction. That's the way it is. That's what we deal with here in the Southeast. And I'm not saying that's easier or harder than anything everywhere else. I mean, the guys out in Oklahoma, Texas, Nebraska, all of those places, they they deal with retarded wind. And I would love to be able to sit there and shoot matches with those guys and have them like, hey, basically treat me as like you haven't seen because I haven't, but you haven't seen this before. These are things. This is how you shoot this kind of wind. I would love that opportunity with some of the the greats, the the Austin Orgains, the Jake Viberts, the uh, Clay Blackletter, uh, Blackletters, the, all of these guys, the they're they're living this shit. Okay, the the Matt Brusseaus, the, these guys live in it. They deal with it all the time, and it's second nature to them. I don't know what that's like. If I left tomorrow to go to, uh, you know, south, southern Oklahoma and shoot a match on a typical 25, 30 mile an hour day, dog, I'd be happy as fuck to hit 10 targets all day because I just don't know what that's like. If unless my Kestrel tells me and it's the same and it gives me an accurate wind call, I'm not going to have nothing else to go to go off of. So, um but, you know, that's just this experience. It's experiences you have when you shoot in that or or when you travel. Like, so you've got guys that travel all over the country shooting matches. I mean, you look at like John Pinch and Jake Vibbert. Those guys, they live in the north, you know, the northwest, the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, they'll go to fucking Florida. You know, they'll go to Oklahoma. They'll go to Nebraska. They'll go to, you know. Pennsylvania, they'll go to North Carolina, they'll go, that's a lot of money, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not good enough to even just, even think about justifying just the travel expenses for that, much less, you know, just the time doing it, but, uh, you know, so they've seen it all one way, shape, or form, they've, they've seen how all four corners and in the middle of this country, how these matches are ran, and that, that gives them the advantage, right? So, I mean, John uh, came to North Carolina and Dave Preston, they came and put on a motherfucking clinic down here in North Carolina. Like, I think John missed like four targets or five targets all fucking weekend. And, I mean, it's a lot of moving and it's short part times. But when, you know, you're used to shooting a lot of wind and then it turns to nothing, it's like a fucking it's like a day at the range, you know, it's no pressure at all. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's some mistakes that I've made that have had, that have been on repeat. And then I went off on a huge tangent after that. So number five details of a stage you thought you would suck at and had a really good outcome or stage you fucked up and made an awesome recovery to get a good score. I don't really have one that I fucked up and, and made a good recovery per se, but I did 
the one sticks, I mean, it's probably been multiple, but the one stage that sticks out in my mind was a stage also at Pig River last year. Um, it was a, it was a, I don't really call it. Uh, I guess it's called a tree. It's basically a pole that stands straight up and it's got pegs that come out of both sides that, you know, go from top all the way down to the bottom. And you got to shoot, uh, what was it? Two targets. Two, uh, one shot, two targets, five positions, I believe. that The math works out that way. I'm not sure. Anyway, a lot of that thing was literally, you could take your finger and push it and it would wobble, wobble, wobble. It had like literally like four inches of, of give either forward or backwards or side to side. Like it was every anything but stable. And a lot of guys were, were actually struggling with it. And it, look, I honestly thought, that I was going to struggle with it too. Like I was prepared, like this is going to fucking suck. Um, but I think I ended up getting like a eight or, and I dropped one or two shots off of it. It was two pig targets at different distances. And you know, like I said, it was one shot each and you move, uh, from just five different positions. I started prone. It was a high prone. So this, the lowest rung, and I mean, this is a round rung, a round peg that is yeah, probably, maybe seven, eight inches long. And, uh, and it goes from really low up to really standing. And I started down prone with no bag. Um, no, I did. I threw my, I had no rear bag. So I threw my mini fortune cookie on it, had it prone. Uh, basically my elbows, I was, arching, laying on my stomach prone, arching my back as high as I could to get my body, my head's elevation as high as I could. My elbows were barely touching on the ground and where I could break the shots, hit, hit, um, then moved. I went to quickly just held my rifle where it was by the pistol grip and like sat up and went straight to my ass and then moved the rifle up to the second rung and was kind of like a leaned over sitting Indian style position hit hit um left the rifle there went to my knees grabbed the rifle moved it to the next rung it was kneeling hit hit and then went to the next one it was kind of like a uh a very low crouching standing like as low as you're gonna go in a standing position which is really a tough position no matter what kind of barricade you're on or whether if it's a rock something super stable that really low standing where you're bent like 90 degrees over. Um, it's a tough, tough place. You know, you start losing, I don't know if it's something when you're breathing or your oxygen, but everything, your vision starts going kind of fucked up when you're bent over that much. I don't know really what that is, but, um, I think I got, I missed both of those. And then I think I went higher and ended up getting another two hits or whatever. I think I got a, it's either at least an eight on it. And I did, I thought I was going to really eat shit on that stage and it, uh, so kind of surprised myself on that one. Um, let's see. Six. What is the worst and best type of person to shoot a match with? Well, that depends. That depends on what you want out of the person. Right? Uh, the one you want out of the person. I mean, depending on what you want out of the person. Um, I like fun dudes that come from a background that interests me. Like, let's say if it was reversed, if somebody had an interest in working dogs and they shot a match with me and they found out that I come from a background of working dogs, 
that I bet they would probably appreciate maybe talking about working dogs and stuff, right? Um, uh, let's see. I can use an example of like uh, my buddy Dan Posey and uh, and all of his guys, Jaeger, all those guys. Uh, they're all third group Green Berets. Like I think Green Berets are fucking awesome, and they're more so than you know other sections of special operations i think green berets have because i understand what their job entails and know it i mean from learning foreign languages to being that liaison between the u.s army and uh other um forces you know other countries you know building their defensive forces whether it be you know the you know Afghan National Guard or something like that, or, or in a militia of a village or something like that. And the fact that they, I mean, they can do, I mean, they're qualified to do just about everything. I mean, it's, so when meeting Daniel for the first time, I mean, I was, I was, it was really cool talking to him and learning. And she, I mean, I was with like five Green Berets. I mean, that was really cool. So that was, and they're really cool dudes. So it was a, it was a lot of fun being that match with them. Um, and then another, uh, fun person to shoot with would be someone like uh, Keith Baker. Now Keith's a fun guy, just like me and most of everybody else is, but Keith Baker's knowledge when shooting, and I hope you listen to it, Keith, um, shout out to you. Uh, but you know, Keith is a friend of mine and he's got so much knowledge to, to teach you, and he, he's willing to do so. Now, let me tell you something about Keith Baker. Keith Baker's a cold blooded fucking killer when it comes to being a competitor. Like when it's game time, you don't fuck with Keith. Like, let him do his thing. Let him cook because he is there. He's a man on a mission, which that's fine. That's what you ought to be. But, you know, when he's not, you know, occupied with his own game, I mean, he's willing to just give you every bit of knowledge he has. And there's a lot of guys like him. Um, and so that's another type of person that I would really like to shoot matches with all the time as someone who has a lot of knowledge that they can share with me because if you're not learning, then you're not progressing and you're, you're, you need to just quit. And so, I mean, I think even Keith Baker learns something every time he goes and shoots, um, shoots a match. I mean, and I'm sure there's probably somebody who could tell Keith something that maybe he hadn't thought about or looked at it from a, didn't look at it from that point of view or, or something like that. And, and Keith is one of the most knowledgeable guys in the game. Um, you know, uh, you know, Mike, Minchaka is a good buddy of mine. I know he's probably listening to this. Um, I would love to shoot a match with you, Mike, and we're going to have to make that happen because, oh, my God, the jokes. I would It would probably be the worst finish of my career because the jokes would never stop. I would be joking on the clock, like, while I'm shooting because that's what that whole day would then be about, would be about the jokes and the fun, and and that would be okay. So, I mean, there's, I mean, it, it's all in, well, A, the type of person you are and B, what you want to get out of the person of whom you're talking about as who's, you know, fun to shoot a match with. Are you not a fun guy? Do you have kind of like a dry personality where jokes aren't that and, and the, the camaraderie isn't that important? You're just, you're there to become a better shooter. Well, then, yeah, shoot with somebody that has the most to teach you. That's who I'd want. If it was me, that's who I would want to shoot with the most. Or if. That's not the priority, and maybe just the day, the weekend's experience is the priority. Well, then, yeah, the best person I want to shoot with is a guy that I'm going to make laugh the most and laugh from them the most. 
right? And just my friends. Like I, I don't care to ever shoot a match without my two, my two best friends, Jeff and CL. I mean, that, those, those are my match buddies. We go to matches together. We drive together. We, you know, we stay in hotels. We always squad up together. They are, we're like a little unofficial team. You know, we're always trying to help one another. And those are my, those are my brothers. So of course I always want to be with them no matter what. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing. If, if you've got an account, if you've got an accountability partner, that's the best person to shoot with. It isn't going to do you any good to shoot a match. Let's say you have, let's say CL is my accountability partner. It does me no good to have him as said account accountability partner if he's on a different fucking squad because he's not there to tell me what I did wrong or show me what I did wrong. And I'm not there to tell him what he did wrong. Or he's not there to tell me, hey, look, make sure you think about this. And I'm going to say, hey, look, this is the way you need to negotiate this barricade right here. Or what? if we're not there together, then what good is it to even consider them to be a, a help to you? So, yeah, squad up with these folks. But it's also good to squad up with new people because you don't know who you're going to be squatting up with. The match that we were supposed to be shooting in uh, the war match in West Virginia that hopefully gets rescheduled. Um, I was going to be shooting my match. I didn't even know who the guy was. I was going to be shooting with the, I guess, the president of Zoom soft plastics, like fishing baits. Dude, I've been fishing with Zoom baits my entire life. Like I've got right now bags and bags full of Zoom worms and all kinds of soft plastics. Like, and I was going to be shooting with this dude. It was going to be awesome. But then the fucking Chinese shit happened, which I'm going to get to some Chinese shit at the end. But we'll we'll keep it moving for now. So yeah, that's who I'd want. Those those types of people are who you should look at trying to shoot with. Right? And if you don't know anybody in this, then it doesn't matter. You're gonna not know who is who and not know who is a knowledgeable one or who's the funny one or whatever. So just shoot and you'll meet friends. This is like the easiest venue to meet people that are willing to help you and to willing to have a damn good time with you. And it's I've never had a boring squad. Like it's never been boring. It's all if if I'm in it, I promise you, it's not gonna be fucking boring because I ain't gonna let it be. If I'm shooting with a whole bunch of fucking, you know, wet dish rags, I'm gonna spice the shit up. So I may shoot the damn stage with no fucking pants on or some shit, just if that's what it took to get some laughs going. So it's go and shoot, meet people. Learn. You may find people like that become your accountability partners at one match. You may be like, you two just hit it off, and then y'all may live in somewhat close to each other, or y'all can shoot the same matches, and y'all can, you know, that'll happen. I promise, because the people in this sport are, in my opinion, the best people in the firearms community. Period. Precision rifle world is full of the best people. Period. So just know that going into it and don't be shy. Don't be, this isn't this episode about new people, but I always like to talk to new shooters to what to expect and to what to gain from shooting your first match or anything of the sort. Um, so that's what you need to do. That's who you need to look for someone to shoot with that can help you when you're new. 
Um, all right. Uh, what is the, well, I guess oh, I didn't realize number six and the same one is answered was the worst type. The worst type of person, I guess, is somebody who somebody who acts as though you know they are gonna win the match, but don't have the the right to have that added. I guess it's hard for me to put in words. I guess I don't have the. They're not who the, They're not as good as they think they are, and they want you to think they are better than they are. If that makes sense. I don't want to say poser. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I've got a guy in mind. I'm not. I definitely wouldn't say his name, but I've shot a match with him, and. He had a very snarky attitude, not with me personally, I don't believe I remember, but just in in general. He was kind of like a snarky, kind of narcissist, and was not as good as he thought he was, and was not as good as he probably wanted people to think he was. And I've told y'all straight off Jump Street that I am that mid-pack shooter, but don't get it twisted. There may be times where I eat barrels of shit in a match, and I'm at the bottom third. I don't fucking know. Like, like this past Frontline Fury, I suck dick at that stage. Or, I mean, excuse me, at that match. And I had no business shooting or you know placing where I placed, I don't believe, but I earned every fucking bit of it. I shot like shit that match. And so... I'm, but I'm at the other end of that spectrum. I'm probably, I maybe not give myself credit that I may deserve. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm not that type of person. I don't think I try not to be at least, but yeah. So that's a kind of a bad person or, oh man, there was one guy. <laughs> I don't even remember his name, so I couldn't tell it if, if I wanted to, but CL and Jeff will know this guy. We shot with him. We shot with a dude. He's from, not from North Carolina. He's from further up north. And God, all oh, fucking day, he was like, he wasn't the type of person that I just described, but he kind of was. Like, he was worried about shit that, like, this band I had no business being worried about because he wasn't good enough to everything to make the difference. Like, Coriolis is this and this. We're looking like we're having like a. Looks like a three and a half mile hour wind. So you're telling me you can tell a half mile hour wind 800 yards down down range? Shut the fuck up. Like, he, you know what I'm saying? I was like, why are you? And he would keep on. He'd like chase you down and would like just start talking about the stage and uh, like just start spewing. Just, just, you know, vomiting just nonsense. And. I was like, man, get this motherfucker. I was like, looking around, like, get this motherfucker away from me. Like, I don't even know who this guy is. And he's just, uh, he's annoying the shit. Now, look, I'm, I'm very approachable. I'm the most approachable guy you can, you can think of. But it wasn't just for me. It was everybody. He was doing everybody. So it was just, everybody was like, God damn, shut the fuck up. Like, just do saying dumb shit. And I don't even, if I wish I had better examples of things he said, but it was always like, yeah, you know, when there's like a, whatever this will happen, you, you got to think about this. Now. No one asked you your opinion, dude. Like, we're all beating the shit out of you. Like, we don't need your opinion. You, no, you just need, you need to go, I don't know, you need to go do some dry fire or something. I don't know. But anyway, that's probably the, the worst kind of people. 
that made any sense at all. I don't know if it did. Uh, I was kind of word vomiting. Um, let's see. Seven, what is your process after a match to self-evaluate how you did and what you need to work on? Now, that's kind of easy. So if and if you don't do this, you need to. Um, and I do this every every match now is that either the matchbook that I get or a piece of paper, like uh, the course of fires on a sheet of paper. If it's like a one day, they're not going through the trouble of making a whole booklet. Um, I'll, every stage I will write down, you know, what my dope was what it actually ended up needing to be if my dope was wrong. Like if I had my, my ballistic calculator said it was seven and a half mils and it ended up being uh, 7.7 mils. I'll write the beginning before, before I shoot, I'll write down what my initial wind call will be, what I'm thinking the wind's going to be, put down my elevation. After I shoot, I put down what dope actually used. So like, yeah, seven and a half was fine. It was perfect. Um, and then what my wind was actually doing, but then I'll write down how many misses I had, how many impacts, whatever. And then I'll go over what I did. What, why did I miss the shots that I missed? Okay. Um, and then, and then I forget about it. So I write down, uh, barricade was super unstable. I had a hard time staying, uh, shrinking my wobble zone. I was all over the place or it was, um, I, like I said, my bipod height was wrong and I had to, you know, go manipulate my bipod, eating up time, whatever, end up timing out or something like that. Right. So you just go through and write it down. Then fucking forget about it. Then forget about it. Go on to your next stage with a complete blank slate of how you're performing that day. Good or bad. Because if you're shooting good, you're shooting good. Don't want to get inside your own head. If you're shooting bad, you want to get out of that funk. You don't want to stay inside your head and continue shooting bad. So this goes on what I touched on earlier about you know mindset, stuff like that. Uh, so that's what I do. And so then once the match is over with, I've got you know 18 stages worth for over the weekend. Or maybe day one, I've got nine stages worth of notes. Okay, read the course of fire again. All right. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, I remember seeing that. And boom, I I have written down why I missed what I missed. If I clean it, then clean. You know, what what do you say? Oh, and you know, good shooting. It's dope to self. Good shooting. You know, no. But, you know, you, you need to take notes off of what you did wrong to then go back and fix. But then also, I will sometimes put, you know, I had this, that, and the other, but I did this to maybe gain better stability. I switched from uh, a high kneeling with one leg up to down to a double kneeling, two knees down, and then I was less fatigued. And I'll put that down. You know, so any notes, anything that you could take with you, you write it down. Go back later after the day or after the whole match is over with. And go back and then and just kind of run through the scenario in your mind of how you did on each stage and what you did wrong. You can even go as far as to kind of visualize yourself, close your eyes and visualize yourself rerunning that stage um, and, and not doing the things you did wrong. And, you know, whatever the visualization, I did not know. The visualization was as huge as it actually is. And the guys that are winning right now will tell you that. I'm not going to say it's a, a big secret, but 
it is definitely something that's overlooked that visualization is huge and if you if i if anybody listening to this podcast will take anything i say to heart and do something i ask of you please go on amazon and go find secrets of mental marksmanship it's a book it is the best book you will read involving this game period now, I've read it once. I went and highlighted. I'm going to go back and read the motherfucker again. There's just so much good information there. You really can't mentally absorb it all in one read. I've got tons of shit highlighted. I could skim through it or I could go back and read the whole thing. And it was a good read, too. It wasn't like a boring, dry read. No, it was actually enjoyable to read. And I'm going to, I might read this book maybe this week. Um, we're going to read it again. But it's got so much good knowledge in there. And it talks about visualization and everything like that. So, it talks about how what happened. It talks about this very same thing. How do you improve off of a bad performance? You know, so it it, it covers this in great detail. And I'm not going to go into that detail. I'm going to move on to the next question. But that's something that y'all need to do. If you can please do one thing I ask of you, it is to go buy that fucking book and read it. Um, Secrets of Mental Marksmanship by something. What the fuck? I can't remember his name. Something Grisham. And I don't know. Maybe I'm. I'm off. No, Cunningham. Kept Cunningham is his last name. Can't remember his first name. Uh, doesn't matter. Richie Cunningham. I doubt it. No, it's not. Um, but it's a good book. Um, all right. So eight. What have you have you taken any shooting classes? Where and who in your review? No, I have not. I have never taken a shooting class of any discipline whatsoever in my life. Period. Everything I know. I have learned through either self-discovery and trial and error or from peop- other shooters much smarter than myself and lending me a hand or honestly, online training from Sniper's Hide. Get on, if you're on Sniper's Hide, it's like what, 18 bucks a month. That's the cheapest box of ammo and you've got, con- you've got access to like 80 some videos, like five to 10 to 15 minute videos on all different types of subjects you can you can uh go in and um suggest a video and frank is like oh yeah that's a good idea frank will do a fucking video on it and frank is a guy you want to do the video on it um um the jacob bynum jacob bynum is uh the guy i keep saying this and everyone else does the godfather precision rifle his dvds are great on the fundamentals because if the fundamentals can always be need to always be implemented and, and used and put at the forefront of your mind when shooting. But they don't need to be a conscious thing. They need to become subconscious because you've practiced it so much. It becomes second nature to you. You need to burn those neuro pathways in your mind that when you get to a position, whether it be prone, standing, kneeling, sitting, fucked up upside down, whatever, that you go up, you get a good sight picture, you've got a perfect natural point of aim, you use perfect trigger control, breathing, all of these things, follow through, everything. You can do that on almost any position that can be thrown your way. And you will automatically shoot better um, than if you didn't. So it's... I mean, I, I've watched his videos. Um, I hope to one day take his class. That would be a dream to gut rifles only. 
and um, and go there to Texas to, to train with him. I am, however, scheduled, like I mentioned, I am going to Frank's class at Treadproof in Tennessee in October. It's only like a nine and a half hour drive from here. And that's doable. I love Tennessee. And I picked October class simply because I have made that drive that time of year up into Kentucky. And let me tell you something. You go through some of the most beautiful, when you go to Kentucky at least, you go through some of the most beautiful parts of our country from western North Carolina into eastern Tennessee. And then if you go to Kentucky, into the whole state of Kentucky is beautiful. Or if you go the other route, west North Carolina into Western Virginia, into West Virginia, and then over in, from East Kentucky into Central Kentucky. But we're going to Tennessee. So we're going on the far side, of the, kind of the middle, I guess, of Tennessee where Treadproof is. And I am glad I, I, I did it because the trees are so gorgeous that time of year on that drive. I'm not going to mind that 9, 10-hour drive at all because I love it. And I can't wait. But also... I'm glad I did it in October because it's fucking coronavirus shit. They've already had to cancel a couple of Frank's classes at, uh, well, at Mile High in Colorado and at Treadproof because of this bullshit. So hopefully by October, damn it, I'm going to Treadproof. I don't give a shit Frank's will be there or not. I'm going to Treadproof in October, period. Fuck that coronavirus. It's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any reviews of any. I know not all instructors are created equal, but, you know, there are plenty of people out there. A lot of the guys you already know are putting on great schools, great, great classes. Now, here's one that I'd like to do. So I'm going to do Frank's. I'd really love to do uh, Jacob's as well at Rifles Only. Man, I'd also like to really like to do Dave Preston's course that he's doing and just for the competition side of it, because you go to Frank's class or Jacob's class, you're there getting the fundamentals hammered into you to where it becomes absolute second nature and, you know, wind calling and, you know, all that stuff. Dave Preston's is going to be a master course on competition shooting. And I would love to take that course. Um, and I may do that in the next year or so. I may, may hit him up and, and take his course. Um, so there's, yeah, there's that subject. Uh, let's see. How do you balance home, work, and shooting? If I knew that answer, bud, it, you, the only way I can answer is the best you can. Prioritize. Work you have to do, family you want to do, and need to do. And, you know, anything else becomes, you know, should be done in bonus time. Okay. I'm telling you right now, my wife may disagree, but... I know in my heart that this, whether it be reloading or shooting or even this podcast, which I've grown to love, it definitely takes a backseat to family. And as much shit as I've talked about my damn kid this episode and last episode, I swear to God, I'd end this whole world from it for saving him. And I, I mean that. And I know every father out in mother, maybe listen to this. You all feel the same way about your kids. Um, and you know, you just kind of get it in where you fit it in, I guess. I mean, I, my wife goes to bed pretty early most nights. If it's a time where I know I need to get some reloading done and she wants to spend time together when we're watching a show or a series or something like that, I will go and do that with her. And when she goes to bed, 
that's when, and, it, and I may be, I may be late nights by the time I'm done, but I'll come up here and do my reloading or do my dry fire and stuff like that, whatever I need to do. And then I make sure that if I'm going to go shooting during the weekend, I make it worth it to my family, me being gone that weekend by doing something with them during the week. Kind of like, it's not lip service, but you know what I mean. And, and it's not even for them. It's, it's for me as well. Um, I want to get extra time with them during the week and do something I normally wouldn't do if I were going to be home on the weekend, if I'm going to be gone all weekend. Right. And, you know, and, and switch it off that way. <coughs> Coronavirus. Fuck. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, and then uh, work is work. You, that's the good, that's the bad thing about it is that you, a lot of, most people don't have a say so about work. Work is from time A to time B from days one, two, three, four, five. I mean, that's, there's nothing you can do about it. You work for yourself you can make things more, more flexible. You know, I work, I mean, it's it also depending on what you do is going to determine how flexible you can be. So no one knows that better than the person who's making the decision. I there's no way I can tell you the best way to, you know, use your time because I don't know your situation. Everybody's situation is different. How I do it is like I said, wait till my son goes to bed at about seven 30 uh, watches his pad until about eight. He goes to sleep. Assuming he goes to sleep. Wife will stay up till probably nine 30, 10, 10 30. After that is when it's my time. Um, so then I'll come up here and that's why a lot of these podcasts were recorded late as fuck. I didn't get done till midnight. Um, because that's what I was doing. Me and my wife were watching, uh, whatever show and, or documentary or something like that. And then, uh, you know, I kiss her goodnight, tuck her in the bed, and I come up here and do my thing. So that's, I mean, no one knows your schedule better than you or your uh, obligations and, and needs more than you. So that's on everybody. But just do me a favor. Put your fucking family first. God damn, this shit don't mean nothing. This whole game, this whole hobby, because all it is a damn hobby, it don't mean shit in the grand scheme. It don't. So put your family first. Um, let's see. I got two more left. So, um, I guess he worded this wrong. If younger two, could you shoot a match without electronics? I'm guessing, I don't know. I don't know what that means. It could, could I shoot a match without electronics? Fuck yeah. So when I go and before every match, unless it's like a, like a weekend back to back weekend thing, which I don't like doing, I hate it, but it happens. A back-to-back weekend thing, you know, before a match, for every match, I'm going to distance. Like, I'm going and shooting, and I'm recording. Um, even if everything lines up perfectly, I'm still recording. I have in my hand right now, I'm holding my data book. If you don't have a data book, you're wrong. Um, you can go to Impact. There's a bunch of different companies now doing it. Um, I got mine a couple of years ago. Um Let's see. I've got this impact data book. It's a sniper's hide edition because Frank did a pretty good job of putting all this together. Instead of going and piecing together things that, and you can do that if you know what you need, then do that. Um, otherwise, like you get the sniper's hide things come with a little Codora uh, Codora uh, binder and uh, covers it and everything. And it, I've I used up. A lot of what I needed, so I ordered more, and I just ordered the sheets that I needed, and I actually took out a lot that I didn't need. I don't need a, a sniper range card. 
Like that's in here. Now, I'm not saying that people that may get this book wouldn't need that, but David Baker does not need that. I don't need a weapon cleaning procedure thing. I know my cleaning procedure in my head, but it does come with cool things like, um, you know, uh, conversions between yards, meters, centimeters, inches, uh, all that stuff steps it all the way out to, to 2000. And, um, I mean, that's, you're not going to use that in a match per se, but it's still good to have the reference or whatever. It has, uh, all different kinds of cool things in it. And, but biggest thing is I have my, the things I use the most is this will answer the question of can, could I shoot a match with electronics? Yes. Um, the round count sheets I have for every one of my rifles or, and, or barrels, um, given a shoot of AI, uh, every rifle or barrel I have, it has its own sheet. And I write down every round that goes out of that barrel gets recorded in this book. And then what I do is it's got a date. So let's see. Um, all right. My newest dasher. So I got it. The first time shooting was on March 12th. Um, and then boom, boom, which shows how many fired and then a total. So, and then the next day was, uh, March 13th shot 60 that day. It was 36 first day, 60 the next day. That together is what? 96. So I, in the total it has that. And you just put in how many you shot that day. And then you add it to the day before or the, the time before. And then what I do is the system to I know when I clean it and keep a, a, a um, record of at how many rounds I have on the barrels since last cleaning. What I do is after, like, let's say here, uh, March 19th, I had 231 rounds down the barrel. I drew a solid line underneath that whole day. And then so that I know that on March 20th, when I shot the very next day, I was shooting on a clean bore. So and then boom, I put 30 rounds on it that day. Obviously, it's fouled in. And then boom, at rounds 435, which is April 5th, bam, I cleaned it again, drew a line underneath it. I've got that for every barrel and or rifle that I have. Um, it's probably what gets used the most. Um, other than I have chronograph sheets that I used to use a lot more, but what I've been doing is I've just been taking pictures of the screen of my lab radar. I've been gotten kind of lazy on the chronograph sheet. Um, you know, it's, it's been a while since I've used that. Um, and then I've got, um, then obviously my dope sheets when it's like a ballistic calculator data sheet. I put down all the environmentals, the time, the date, the uh, bullet, the bullet length, all the information that you would put into a ballistic calculator. It's got it right here on the left side, and then it's got true dope. So then I put in for every, I shot it at 300, 500, 600, 800, 900, 1,000. I have all the dope for it. Um, if I wanted to, this was mostly just truing, so... I did the yardages that I thought mattered the most. So that's why I have that. I could just step it all, all the way out and then do that. And Frank and Mark Taylor came out with, uh, uh, months ago, came out with a weaponized math equation to you could literally true your shit out to distance by just knowing your 300-yard dope. If you just know your 300-yard dope, normally it's between 0.8 and 1.1 or over a range of calibers. And you can fudge it either way and get within two tenths 
of center on every target all the way out. If you don't know it, you get on Sniper's Hide, uh, search Weaponized Math. Uh, there's, I think he's got a YouTube video on his YouTube channel. Um, his Facebook, him and Mark Taylor both have it on their Facebook accounts. They have uh, links to uh, the article on the Sniper's Hide article page or whatever it's called. Um, the web page, not just the forum. But um, it's, it's like one of the most easiest things to find if you're looking for it. And you can use that to, to get your dope. Um, there's a come up sheet that's kind of like the same thing that I used the other thing for. You can, they kind of serve the same purpose. Um, but it steps it out in 25-yard increments to 500 yards. So I don't really use that a whole lot. Then you got a shooter's diary. You could put down, like, if you went and practiced uh, rooftop shooting or, you know, the um, you know standing, kneeling, sitting, prone, whatever. You can put down all types of notes, the range you shot at, the type of target it was, the, the dope you put in. The bare the um, all the environmentals. It's got its whole little area here to put all kinds of notes and stuff on. And uh, you know, I, I've done truing on it as well. So man, this is one of that Bergara I'm looking at. Jesus Christ, thousand yards was 8.4 mils with the 147 um, 6.53 more ammo. Uh, but yes, if I wanted to shoot a match, I could definitely do it without that because I would just record all my data in my data book that I have. Cause it goes to matches with me too. Like it doesn't just stay in my reloading room or with my rifle case. No, nah, that motherfucker goes in my pack. I have never shot a match without that fucker in my pack period. It won't. It's your Bible. It is your, you can put all kinds of shit in there. You can put uh load development stuff. There's load development pages you can get. You can put where that is your all end all be all i have a separate notebook for load development that i keep that doesn't leave my doesn't leave my reloading room but i could easily do that um and do it in there so you can have that um data books are key have a data book use it please oh, all right the last question have you ever taken a hunting rifle to a match to evaluate how much better your competition rifle or ai makes you i want to start a challenge for this change challenge good shooters to bring rifle with chat no i've never taken my hunting rifle with me the closest thing to it was i took that fucking bergara in a xlr evolution chassis and it that rifle fucking sucked for that but it became a good hunting rifle so uh, it wasn't set up for it then. It didn't serve that purpose then, but I did shoot a couple deer with it. So, but it would, the action worked fine for, you know, chambering one up and waiting for a damn deer to come out in the Southeast. So, um, the answer to that is no. And I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to do that or not. It's, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that would like doing that. Now, if there was like a whole match where that's what people did, then, I mean, I've got a hunting rifle and a KRG Bravo. Does that, that Tika and that KRG Bravo to factory barrel, does that count as a hunting rifle? Because that's what I'm going to be hunting with all season this year. Um, or or my, my Hancock with an 18-inch uh, 6.5 PRC barrel in my foundation. I can hunt with that some this year. Does that count too? Um, but no, I guess it'd be on $1,200 total. And I don't have anything that fits that description. So anyway, um. I hope y'all enjoyed all those answers. I did not think it was going to be an hour and a half. I thought it was really going to be like a 45-minute episode. I was like, well, it would be good, better than nothing. I had no idea it was going to take, that I was going to go this long on this. But um, 
I hope you liked it. I hope you didn't find that it was too rambly and whatever. Um, I want to think if there's anything I want to touch on. Um, I, well, something I did want to touch on. If you are friends with me on Facebook or follow me on Instagram, you probably saw the video. What in the fuck is going on with all of the damn Chinese restaurants in Greenville, North Carolina? Okay. People probably have been shying away from the Chinese restaurants and carry out places during this whole thing. For some reason, I have had like a primal subconscious desire for Chinese food during this whole thing. Like I've mentioned Eugene to you guys before from China Walk. That's my homie. They've been closed and I am dying for my boneless spare ribs and white rice. Like, that's my go-to dish. Like, that's what I... I could call Eugene. He'd see my numbers. Like, you want your regular? Yes. And I want it extra, extra, extra spicy. Okay? That's how much I get it and how much I get that when I go there. So, I drove around and looked, went to every fucking Chinese restaurant. There's a bunch of them. There's only two that are open. And neither one of them carry spicy... Uh, I mean, neither one of them carry uh, boneless spare ribs. Every other place that did have them, closed. I need my Chinese people to come back to work. We all know it ain't you guys' fault. We all know that you, y'all you don't have the coronavirus. We all know it. it's nothing to do with you guys. Y'all are just as American as, as I am. Come back to work. Eugene, if you listen to this, man, I need my boneless spare ribs, son. I'll, I'll, buy, I'll make it worth it. I'll buy 10 orders of it and freeze it. You can close back up, and I'll just warm it up when I need it. But I need my boneless spare ribs and white rice, son. So uh, I don't know what's going on. I drove around. I'm like, what the fuck? They either fled or they're dead. I mean, I don't know what's going on with them, but I miss them. I need them back in my life. So if anybody here owns a Chinese restaurant listening to this, and you make boneless spare ribs, hit your boy up, and I'll pay some shipping for you to send it to me. Get some dry ice or some shit and send it to me and I'll warm it up. But, um, yeah, they got Roy Cooper, the governor, a fucking delightful ass governor of North Carolina, that cocksucking bastard. He, uh, extended the stay at home orders and then gonna be, depending on how that goes, extended to May 8th. And depending on how that goes, we're going to open up in tiered, a tiered system, a three-step system. And then it's going to be like nine weeks by the time it's all over and done with, assuming nothing goes wrong. Assuming there's not some big influx of people um, infected with it. And to me, it shouldn't be an influx of people. The, the gauge shouldn't be how many people get infected. The gauge to me should be how many motherfuckers are dying and actually to... It due to the coronavirus, not because they got diabetes and then their blood sugar went fucking crazy. And it just so happened to be COVID-19 positive because that's what they're doing. Or someone COVID-19 positive, it gets hit by a fucking car and they deem that a COVID-19 death, which that is exactly what they're doing. It's been documented. They fucking admitted to it. So, but actual COVID-19 cause deaths if that starts going up fine until then open this bitch up man 
please open this motherfucker up because here's what I'm going to promise you right now. Everybody who says, hey, look, let's be careful. Let's open it back up. Let's be careful. Let's continue practicing. Don't be in a big crowd of people. You don't have to be. Practice cleanliness. Wash your fucking hands. Don't be coughing on motherfuckers' faces and shit and their food. Don't be retarded. But let's let's get back to life. Let's get back to work. Most of those people are people on the right. Like, hey, let's go at this head on. Let's not it completely change our way of life. And everybody who's continuing just grabbing the reins of control, almost or almost all of them are Democrats. Now, you've got protests in tons of different states, big protests, like I mentioned in the last podcast. And you got so many people whose lives are are not infected by it that our lives are, might as well be because their lives are ruined because they can't they've lost this they can't pay this they they can't live because they don't work they got laid off they got my sister's a fucking nurse she's been a nurse for like eighteen fucking years she got furloughed because there's not enough patients in the goddamn hospital they also went through pay cuts people who didn't get furloughed they did pay cuts from the top literally the top. Down to the bottom, big percentage pay cuts, huge, like unprecedented uh, percentage pay cuts because A, they ain't got enough people in the hospital. So that to me is a good fucking sign. That means we ain't got people, tons of people with COVID-19, right? There's, there's, there's not enough people in the hospital and they're not making money on elective surgeries. Look, you want, you want to be able to staff these hospitals. You want them to be able to buy this and that, get these ventilators, all this stuff. But yet, their main source of income, they don't have. They don't have their income because the, the, the motherfucker who wanted the damn nose job or someone who needed knee surgery or somebody who, I don't know, wanted a bitch who wanted some fucking big titties, they can't go get it now and they can't pay the, the hospital's bills because that's cash out of pocket, like out of the patient's pocket that goes straight to the hospital. There is no liability other than just you know, medical liability, but no, if someone goes into the emergency room right now and is dying because of a, a sucking chest wound from a gunshot and they don't have insurance, guess what? The hospital's still paying for it. That comes out of the hospital's budget. Okay? That's the way it is. That's not your moneymaker. That's not how they pay their bills. They pay their bills by the motherfucker that wants, you know, a fucking dick enlargement or some shit. That's who pays the bills. Let them pay the damn bills. A broke hospital, would you rather them be able to treat these patients and still have any other things going on or them fucking belly up and then close and don't help nobody? What you going to do? It's the only hospital within an hour driving distance from a big town like Greenville. You mean people come from all over to come to Greenville? We had, we had at one time one of the number one heart centers in the nation. And... I mean, and now unless somebody's dying, they ain't getting shit done. So open this shit back up. And what I'm trying, what I'm gonna get at is, is all of this shit in November, their their chickens will come home to roost. And I can promise you, it isn't going to be people looking at Republicans saying, "I lost my job because of you." I promise you that. We don't need another half trillion dollar stimulus bill. We don't need, didn't need the first stimulus bill. No, we need motherfuckers to go to work. All right, and that's what that's what that's what needs to happen, and that's what's not happening right now. And that's the people are, have got a long enough memory to to remember this in November. 
And I have a feeling you're going to see a big old red wave in November in Congress, in the Senate, and especially governors. Especially governors. So, and I think literally there's going to have to be voter fraud at the greatest proportion in world history. Like, I'm talking about. I'm talking about Vladimir Putin type of voter fraud. I'm talking about Saddam Hussein type of voter fraud where like you voted for somebody else, boom, you and your whole family are dead. It's going to take that for Joe Biden to beat Trump. I don't give a shit what Trump did because Joe Biden is such a fucking bumbling retard. And I don't even mean that. He's not a retard. The motherfucker's sick. Okay. He can't help it. Look, my, my grandma died with Alzheimer's. My aunt is literally probably going to die this weekend with Alzheimer's. She literally has not drank or eaten anything in four weeks. I don't know how she's still alive, but legit, three or four weeks has not eaten or drank a thing. I don't know how she's alive. My other aunt on my other side of the family, I'm probably going to die with Alzheimer's. Like That's my biggest fear in life is, is me contracting Alzheimer's. I've got to deal with CL, and I'm probably doing myself a disservice by putting this out for the world to hear, but if we've made a pact, if either one of us have Alzheimer's, we're going we're gonna to do each other in. Like, if he's got Alzheimer's, I'm going to kill his ass. And if I've got Alzheimer's, he's going to fucking kill me too. And I want that. Because it is the worst disease ever. It for The person that has it isn't the one affected. It's their family members. And I promise you, if you could ask them when they were about their wits and in a, a right mindset, would you want your family having to to deal with this with you? If you have the choice, everyone would say, no, I'd rather die. I'm taking a proactive measure. If I get the shit, I want somebody to cap my ass. I told my wife, if I ain't, if someone don't kill me, please strip me down naked, give me a pocket knife, and drop me off in like fucking Yellowstone. If I live, I make it, I make it. If I don't, fuck it. Just say he went for a walk in Yellowstone. So that's what I... Anyway, Joe Biden has got this shit. There's no doubt. He's beyond early stages. Like, this motherfucker cannot string together two sentences. Period. Even the Democrats know, like, they can't have that on the world stage. Their best hope is that they put, give him a VP that they do like, two months into his term, deem him unfit, invoke the 25th Amendment, and and put him in a home. And then their real candidate takes the reins. That's what they want. So that's his only chance other than the voter fraud, like I mentioned. But you can go ahead and count on four more years of, of uh, old orange man. That's going to happen, period. But as far as everything else, all of these people proposing that we keep the country locked down and that how somehow this virus is fucking racist. Oh, my God, please. That's that's like a, the lowest of lows. Um, It's. It's gonna, their chickens are coming home to roost, and I guess that's the only silver lining. I'm not saying Republicans are much better. I'm saying that obviously this shit ain't working what we got going on right now. So um, it's I cannot wait to get Roy Cooper's ass because he can he can kiss his shit goodbye. I don't give I could run against his ass and I'm gonna win. And shit, I can't just I can't wait for November. Shit, I can't wait. Anyway, I think that's going to do it tonight. Um, I can't think of anything else I want to cover. If I do, I'll write it down for the next one. But appreciate you guys listening. Um, and uh, I'm getting some new listeners. And, I'm, I'm, you know, if this is your first one you're listening to, welcome. 
go back and start from the beginning and catch up later. Um, anyway, appreciate everybody for the support. Um, oh, shout out, um, Ty Evans with, uh, Ridge, is it Ridge Precision? I believe, man, I feel like a fucking asshole because I don't have the shit in front of me. Oh my God. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, they, uh, make the, um, tripod saddle in the middle bag, baggy thing. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, it, uh, I got it in today and it is badass. In fact, he just messaged me a minute ago. I had messaged him back. He asked me if I had received it and I did and Ty, it is awesome. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to do some more shit with it. Um, also another thing glad I thought about it too. So I want to mention, I put it on Facebook today in the just and Senate podcast group and on the snipers hide forum, uh, in my, in my thread, if anybody here is Gucci with the, is nice with the graphic design, um, please reach out if you're willing and, and um, able to maybe possibly work with me on doing a logo for the podcast because I'm thinking I want to do some swag, man. And look, these are going to be no bullshit t-shirts. The, if I do, I'm going to do t-shirts, maybe some stickers too, but I'm going to do t-shirts that are going to be nice t-shirt. Like the t-shirt itself is going to be nice. I can't stand the run in the mill t-shirts that you may get at matches or whatever that like they shrink right up on you and they're like they're super short and and all that crap and the sleeves. No, nah, I'm I I already know the t-shirts I'm going to use. I don't care how much they cost. That's what I'm going with and they're going to be they're going to be nice. They're going to fit well and they're going to be high quality. They're not going to shrink up. And uh, you're going to enjoy wearing them because I don't care how cool a t-shirt is. If you don't like the way the fucker feels and the way it looks on, you're not going to wear it. Um, that's the way I am. At least I've got a thousand matte shirts that I don't wear because they don't, they're not comfortable. They, they don't like the material. I don't like the way they shrunk up the first. And I wash in cold, uh, a cold cycle. I don't wash with warm water and they still shrink up. And even if I don't dry them, they shrink up and I don't like the way they feel. So I'm going to do that. I just need, I, as you all know, I am computer retarded. Um, I need some help. And if whoever hooks me up, I got a couple people interested. They, they'd help me out. Um, I, uh, I've already told them, you know, I got probably got something for you if you do it. Um, if it means pay a little bit of money, it's fine too, but I'm going to take care of you guys. Uh, anybody who helps me, whoever gives me the logo that I was like, yep, that's the one you're getting hooked up. So, um, so reach out to me in the comment section here on Facebook, Instagram, Sniper Side, anywhere you can get a hold of me, uh, get a hold of me and we'll work from there. I want to do something that's got aspects of the show, um, whether it be just precision rifle and, uh, working dogs, canines, uh, or if you can come up with some cool things that I've said or done, you thought was funny, whatever you want to throw in there and do that as well. Um, Something you have just up and send it, da 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 da, whatever. We'll we'll work it out. So just hit me up and let me know. I would be greatly appreciative, and you'll get a huge shout out as well on the podcast. So, um, anyway, let me know, guys. Appreciate it. We we'll end it here. Take care. I'll try to get another one out this week. Peace.